Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of 2024, The Class of Activism. This episode, I am joined by Sydney Saxon as we discuss Black literature and the importance of a multicultural education. For those of you that are new to the show, the mission of 2024 is to answer the questions, what problems are there, what are potential solutions, and how can we help advocate for these solutions. We hope for our podcast to be an activism toolkit for not just the class of 2024, but for activists and organizers all around the country. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of 2024, The Class of Activism. I am Joseph. I am joined by Sydney Saxon. And today we are going to talk about another important topic very connected to Black History Month, African American literature. We are going to talk about the history of it, some authors you have probably never heard of, the continued suppression of literary works written by Black people, and for some reason, Barnes & Noble. Sydney is a junior political science major at Stetson University. She is in organizations such as the Bonner Program and Kappa Alpha Theta. She aspires to go into the field of education. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Joseph. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about the importance of diverse literature in schools, specifically on African-American literature since it's Black History Month. So I'm going to take us back to look at the history of African-American literature. So during the 17th century, African-Americans were primarily characterized as subordinate characters in literature and were often depicted through the use of derogatory stereotypes. Many children's books during this time were not written by African-American authors and could not be found in the libraries in the 1920s and 1930s. Books that were written by African-American authors could not be found. And so during the mid 20th century, African-American historian and author Carter G. Woodson wrote about how the education system disadvantaged African-American children because the literature was not representative of their culture and experiences. And I know Carter G. Woodson was mentioned a little bit on the last podcast episode with Jasmine Tinsley about the instrumental role he played in uh, founding Black History Month. And so this, this statement that there wasn't enough literature that was representative of the experiences of African-American children, this statement was made in the mid 20th century, but yet the statement is still relevant today in many ways. And so in the 1930s, African-American librarian Augusta Baker noted that because children's authors were often white, African-Americans were misrepresented in children's literature and this was degrading to both African-American children and was also misleading to other children as well. And so Augusta Baker partnered with other librarians in the New York Public Library and basically took the initiative to remove children's books that depicted African-Americans in a controversial and stereotypical way. And they also helped increase the supply of children's books that would help affirm the identity of African-American children. And so in 1938, Augusta Baker published a bibliography which outlined standards for African-American children's literature that could be used by other lab librarians around the country. So in the 1970s, culturally conscious children's literature emerged. 
And these were basically books that African-American children could relate to by authors such as Lucille Clifton. And so that's basically the history of where African-American literature has come. Um, but despite this extensive history, today we still see that the classic literary canon, as it's called, um, which is basically just what's considered classical literature, it's often, they're often books written by white authors from a white perspective. So mostly in the, in the average you know, middle school or high school classroom or even elementary school, um, these books that are considered classics are often not depicting the experiences of multiple identities. But there are many books written by African-Americans that can be considered classics, such as influential authors like Maya Angelou, James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, and Toni Morrison. If you were to do a Google search for classic literature, the first stories that would come up would be stories written by white authors only. And so the reason this is a problem is it doesn't expose students to the stories and perspectives of historically marginalized identities. And also it gives the perception that black stories haven't always existed, which is not true because these stories have always been a part of black history and culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a Google search of classic literature, of course. And so first results that come up, um, Pride and Prejudice, 1984, Moby Dick, um, Wuthering Heights, Great Gatsby, Little Women, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, uh, Don Quixote, Catcher in the Rye, Animal Farm, um, Emma, Large Print, um, Jane Eyre, The Scarlet Letter, To Kill a Mockingbird. We haven't even gotten to anyone like Tori Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou. This, yeah. is, this is a joke. <laughs> yeah, but I remember reading some, of, I had to read some of those books that you just mentioned for school. I mean, the closest, the absolute closest that you get to telling a story from a Black perspective is to kill a mockingbird, and that's alarming. A little problematic, yes, <laughs> for sure. And so, so Barnes & Noble, last year, Barnes & Noble thought that they would do a diverse editions collection for Black History Month. Um, but instead of using that opportunity to highlight the works of influential Black and African-American authors, they decided to put Black characters on the covers of classics that were written from white perspectives by white authors. So they took books like Frankenstein and Peter Pan and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and they took these books and basically just put Black individuals on the covers to make them look like they were diverse books, but they're not because they're still written from a white perspective and they're totally undermining and not highlighting the works by Black authors. Um, this, this whole collection ended up being canceled because um, there was a lot of controversy, <laughs> understandably. <Duh>. And, <laughs> and, and so but it's not that it's not that these books that are considered classics are necessarily all bad. You know, while some do have some problematic messages, it's not that. It's just that these group of books that are considered classics are the only books kids are reading in schools, and these are only focused on white perspectives. So it's like getting one side of the story and not exposing students to different different cultures, different identities, which is which is how you know prejudice and how all of that kind of um, can it can it can start all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I kind of want to expand on. Um on the problem with only telling stories from 
the perspectives of white people, it's, it doesn't, people like to think that this is not really an issue, but this actually actively does harm to people. It actually doesn't allow, um, it doesn't allow children of color to be able to see themselves within stories. It doesn't allow them, like, every time, like, with, like, especially classics, classics written by white people, um, a lot of the time when they do, like, include black people in it, it's not in the way that they should be. It's not, it's always within the scheme of there's an oppressive system that they're fighting against. That's always what the story is about when black people are depicted in white classics. And you never get stories from black perspectives that don't, like, really go over, like, just being worn down by oppression like that's people children are never really exposed to it i i was never exposed to it it's always written it's always written from the perspective that every single classic written by white people that includes black people in it tells about a system yeah that is so true and the danger in that is that students of all different identities and backgrounds are, are being are being exposed to only one single story and there's actually this really awesome Nigerian author named Shimamanda Gozi Adichie and she has a TED talk where she discusses the danger of single stories that depict identity groups as monolithic um, and that perpetuate harmful stereotypes and so basically this idea of only students be only being exposed to one narrative, one story, um, kind of perpetuates a cycle of stereotypes and doesn't give the opportunity to the, for them to learn about multiple diverse stories. I mean, everyone has multiple, no matter what your identity is, you have multiple stories to tell. And so I truly believe that those stories are so important. Yeah, I, I remember being in ninth grade geography class and we had a phenomenal, phenomenal teacher for that. Um, her name's Miss Walton. Shout out to her. Um, so she actually, like, I think this was in the second semester of it. She showed us the TED Talk, um, The Dangers of a Single Story. And it was, and it was a huge guiding principle of our class. She was very cognizant of just the she's very cognizant of the dangers of only telling about certain countries from only the american perspective she was always making sure that she got diverse points of views across to us and she was super influential in that regard that's so awesome really great so another another concept that i wanted to talk a little bit about and we kind of mentioned a little bit um is the concept of windows mirrors and sliding glass doors and so this is a concept developed by african-american professor Rodine sims bishop in the 1990s and so i really like this analogy because she really breaks down how books can be such powerful ways to build empathy and to expose students to different experiences so she describes books as windows. So books can be windows because they allow us to see other worlds and learn about other different cultures and other experiences. And mirrors where we can see our own identities within books. 
And then sliding glass doors are books that are windows that can be opportunities to kind of allow us to step in the shoes of someone else and step into that world and, and try to you know, think about what their lives might be like. And this, I think this, is, this analogy is great because it just really shows the importance of, of literature and how it can really be a powerful tool for social justice and for breaking down barriers. And so that is a concept that I really think is great. Right. Yeah, that, that is amazing. It, and the, the thing is, is that with literature, there is a huge, we, we've, us as a society, we've been conditioned, um, sometimes in a very good way, sometimes in a very bad way, that books have a much higher degree of reliability, much higher degree of validity than things like TV shows and such. And so we have a really good respect for literary works. Um, sometimes, uh, in some cases, that's not necessarily a good thing when you have books written by, like, Dan Bongino and, um, like, Candace Owens and such. Um, maybe those aren't the best things. Not maybe. Those are not the best things. <laughs> but at the same time, we have... Uh, most of our society has a really healthy respect for books and not and because of this healthy respect that we have it's hugely hugely important that we do tell stories from diverse perspectives because it not just helps people from diverse backgrounds but it also helps white people understand stuff like like if white people like understand more things from a certain perspective from like diverse perspectives maybe the world would be better like i'm not saying to like go into any of like this moral suasion type stuff people are going to still be racist even if they're exposed to the works of tony morrison but at the same time it could work a bit to like make people at least think more yeah, and, and often it's it's that lack of exposure too. It's, that's often you know a case that students aren't exposed to different experiences, or that they live in a you know a neighborhood where their their race and their ethnicity is you know that's the majority, and um, they might not be exposed to different different identities and different cultures. And so, books is really a cool way to kind of bridge that gap and to bring in all that diversity. And so, I think that's a really cool way to kind of just to just to build bridges and build empathy. And so there's these really cool organizations that are out there to help disrupt and disrupt the, you know, constant cycle of only having white classic literature in schools. And so these some of these organizations include Disrupts Texts, which um, is a group of educators and their mission statement, I quote, it's to challenge the traditional canon in order to create a more inclusive, representative, and equitable language arts curriculum that our students deserve. And so I really like that mission statement and what they strive to do. And another great organization is We Need Diverse Books. Um, I've looked at this organization for book recommendations, um, and they strive to create a world in which all children can see themselves in the pages of a book. And so basically what they do is they provide mentoring for diverse writers and illustrators, they support diverse publishing professionals, and they also provide different diverse books to classrooms around the country. And so there are so many great individuals and organizations that are working to kind of dismantle this and make that change. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I want to 
I want to go back, uh, backtrack a little bit to um, Barnes and Noble. <laughs> because, because it's just such a preposterous thing. I mean, this is, this is a case within this system of corporatism, within this system of, um, within the current capitalistic system that we have. That companies can feel like they can just get away with anything they want. And in this case, it's pretty, it's literary blackface that they feel like they can get away with. Thankfully, people took them to task for it. But at the same time, Barnes & Noble at the end of the day is still going to be making money. They're still going to be making millions of dollars per year while not really promoting um stories from diverse perspectives in an equitable way sure there might be a section within barnes and noble where they have that but are they really promoting it deeply and i that answer is probably no right and probably yeah definitely it's not even if they only you know promote it during black history month it's definitely not probably an initiative throughout the entire year and so that's why it's really cool all these um black owned bookstores and those are really great ways to support um, African-American authors and African-American bookstore owners. And so the, I've found like a full list of different um, different Black-owned bookstores where these these stories are highlighted and are um, are brought to the light. Please tell me there's one in Volusia. <laughs> um, I'm not sure at the moment, but I think there might be. I have to look back at the list, but there's like a whole list in like Central Florida. So there should be. That's great, yeah. So, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is what we can do, what are some action steps that those who are listening that we um, can do to engage in this conversation and to, to advocate for diverse books. And so um, one way that, um, one thing that we can do is just take the initiative to read diverse books. I know a lot of people um, are, might not be fans of reading, might not think that they like to read, um, but a lot of times, a big part of individuals not wanting to read is because they don't have any stories or they haven't found any stories that are reflective of their experiences. I know that was that's a big thing that I've noticed even with my friends and family members that when I found a book that they that is representative of their experiences, that how much they've enjoyed it. And so just just taking that opportunity and taking that initiative to explore different perspectives is a really great way. Um, and it wasn't really until college that I personally became more aware of all these diverse books um, that are out there because, again, like in high school, we're only exposed to that, you know, one set of books that are considered classics. So, and so I want to talk about some of my favorite books. Um, so some of my favorites that are, are more of like mirrors for me personally um, is Are Blended by Sharon Draper and Watch Us Rise by Ellen Hagen and Renee Watson. And then um, books that are more windows that allow me to see different experiences are The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, love that book, and Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Um, and so those are some of the books that have really impacted me. Um, and I couldn't talk about literacy or social justice without talking about the wonderful Dr. Rajni Shankar Brown. Um, she's just such a wonderful mentor to me. And um, she's an education professor, for those of you who don't know her, at Stetson. And she does a lot of work in social justice and the importance of literacy. And so she's a strong advocate for diverse books. And she actually leads a program called READ, 
which stands for Reflect, Engage, and Affirm Diversity. And this is basically a program where students, faculty, and community members come together to read diverse books that are committed to inclusion and equity. So there are, also, so there are really so many opportunities to get involved in this conversation and to challenge yourself to learn more about the stories of others. Yeah, let, let, let's talk, talk a little bit more about the actual benefits of diversifying, um, diversifying your reading list pretty much and diversifying the reading lists of especially high school curriculum, really. Um, it just, it helps, it really, really does help people. It, it's not just a thing that only benefits one group of people. It, it benefits everyone to be able to know about different perspectives of people, to know different stories, to it, because knowledge is power and diverse knowledge is even more powerful. That is so true. And yeah, and totally books can perpetuate stereotypes or they can break them down. So if we're choosing those books and finding those books that are telling different experiences and different stories, that can help us develop confidence in our own identities, like in, in books that are mirrors um, for us. And then also it can help us develop more empathy and, and more understanding of others who have different identities and experiences. All right, I think that's that's a really good place to end the episode. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right, see you next week. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Sydney Saxon for coming on to the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us on whatever platform we get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at 2024 underscore podcast. Our Twitter is at 2024pod. Our Facebook is 2024, the class of activism. Our editor and producer is Grace Herzog. Our graphic designer is Cass Bradley. Our social media coordinator is Hunter Asme. Our policy specialists are Katie Kraft and Jada Hunter. Our legal analyst is Dee Huey. And the intro and outro song is by Joe Kim Karud. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.